Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch at Yukonuba. You will see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog, from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to YukonubaSportingDog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog loves to do, work. And we're back with another edition of the GDIY Profile. This time we have Eric O'Brien on the line. Eric, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? Oh man, living the dream as always. I can't complain. Uh, go ahead and start with what we always start with. Tell us where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run. Well, I'm calling and talking to you from snowy Holland, Michigan on the west coast of Michigan along Lake Michigan. I'm like about a mile and a half from the lake. Uh, my wife was cross-country skiing down the alleged beachfront this morning, so <laughs> I think we've had like a foot of snow in the last couple days. So um, that's where I'm at, maybe like a third of the way up from the southern border, so okay. I'm not quite halfway up in the lower peninsula. So, and, so uh, you're you're kind of on the edge of what they call you know starting grouse country kind of yeah. Realistically, to get into grouse, I, I need to drive at least an hour 
maybe two north. Um, but then that's when I start getting into them. I mean, there are there are some here, but they're, yeah, they're a little more plentiful than a Tennessee unicorn, but not not a ton more. <laughs> I was just about to say you can probably drive an hour or two south and still have better numbers than what we deal with. That. <laughs> <laughs> It could be. I'm not going to say I got a spot that direction, but I might. <laughs> so, um, so what kind of dogs are you running? I, I'm running a Brock Francais right now, Okay, which might be the first podcast that you've done with a, a French pointer. I think um, that may be true. I, th- I think we've had a profile on with... Uh, with another one, but not the Francois. What was it? Uh, the Bourbonnier. Yeah. So... I've only seen one Bourbonnet uh, myself, and that was actually in Iowa on public ground. It was kind of weird that a Brock Francais and a Bourbonnet pulled into the same public ground in <laughs> Iowa. Um, but yeah, I, I hunt over a Brock Francais right now. His name is Ollie, and he's four, um, and he's fantastic. But I've, I've hunted over and owned many different breeds. Actually, that's something we should probably talk about. Um, I was counting them up the other day. My best friend uh, runs only English setters, and between him and a couple other guys, I think there's been 11 setters I've hunted over, and then I had uh, a traditional Navda GSP followed by a horseback trial field dog <laughs> studbook English pointer, um, and then ended up in, with the Brock Francais. It's kind of a fun story how, how that came about, but uh, seen and hunted over a lot of different breeds. No wire hair breed yet, and I don't think that will change, but uh, hunting over Brock now. So you're now hunting over a Brock. What what really made you want to go with that breed? You know, you said that you've hunted over a bunch of different breeds, especially English setters, but it sounded like you had that big running uh, pointer. Did the range and uh, big running behaviors of the English pointer or setter, did that kind of make you want to go with the, the Fran- Francais? Well, it, it, it did and it didn't. Like It made me want to do something different. And then um, I wasn't even aware of Brock Francais until it happened to be that I, I changed jobs, moved here to Michigan, and one of my coworkers uh, happened to be a Brock breeder. And there's not a lot of Brocks in the U.S. There's very few. And- <laughs> I was about to say, you just happened to be working with a, with a Brock breeder? What are yeah. the odds of that? Uh, pretty dang small, like one in millions. Mm-hmm. Um, the, <laughs> there's only a few, and um, Keith... Uh, the the guy that I ended up getting Ollie from runs Great Lakes uh, Gun Dogs. He he's actually heavily involved in the breed club and stuff. And um, so yeah, I ended up hunting over a few of his dogs, and I ended up making the decision to go to a Brock basically because of Ollie's mom being a really good wild bird dog. But um, to get to where I was at there, yeah, the the pointer is part of the story. I I've got to really rewind. <laughs> I got to hear about the pointer. <laughs> okay, so. So the, the quickest version is my first bird dog was a beagle, which uh, is hilarious and uh, obviously not a very efficient uh, situation. Great dog, but not not an efficient situation. So <laughs> my neighbor introduced me to um, a person that he worked with who had an English setter. And uh, this guy's now my best friend. And like I said, I've hunted over, I think, 11 setters with him and a couple other guys. Um and that first dog, Thor, uh, showed me what a pointing dog could really do. And he was just fantastic. We did a lot of stuff in Illinois with some released uh, pheasants there with the state program there. And that's where I, I really started hunting over pointing dogs. And I had always 
really liked the looks of a GSP from the time I was a little kid at the paper out. There was a guy in my paper out had two GSPs and I thought they were the coolest looking dogs ever. So when I started getting into the pointing dog world, I ended up doing a ton of research. I'm an engineer. I overthink everything and <laughs> did all the novice stuff and um, ended up getting a, a GSP out of what was one of the big lines then, but th- this will tell you how old this was. It was before Clyde Vetter became as successful as he is. So it was an old Jim Riser bloodline. Um, and she was great. She's a great dog. But um, my first pointing dog, I screwed up a lot of things. I wish there was GDIY back then. Uh, but between my mistakes and she was a little on the stubborn side and more prey drive than point. And so, um, you know, the people that I was training with and stuff had dogs with more point and so some of the problems that i had i I really wasn't sure how to resolve and that it caused me to dig a lot into various training things and everything and we'll touch on that in a minute but in short um i had to kind of win the battle of wills with her where she was super perfect snappy on woe in the backyard but man she wanted to creep in on birds and she wanted to steal points and things like that so her cooperation wasn't what i wanted but her range was great her nose was great she retrieved everything and I loved that dog to death. She was awesome. But as she got older, I made a comment one day that um, if the field trial guy that my friend had gotten most of his setters out of ever had a pointer that washed out because it wouldn't run far enough, I'd like to try a pointer because I, I was really wanting the point. And uh, I knew I was maybe playing with fire on range, but <laughs> like I said, it had to be one that washed out, right? Yep. So, that week I went out and I looked and that guy had a pointer that was for sale because he wouldn't run far enough. So I said, well, man, I got to go do this. So I bought Patch and uh, my GSP's name was Cirrus. I bought Patch, brought him home and that dog had never been outside of, uh, or never been in a house, never been outside of his kennel run or a bird field. And um, the next day I took him to the vet and I found out he had heartworms. Oh, wow. So... After we did the whole, like, how do you keep a, a new pointer, like, basically in a in a crate through the heartworm treatment and stuff, got him through that, um, and got him back healthy, we started doing uh, training, and I'll never forget the first time I put him on the ground in South Dakota on a prairie grouse hunt, and uh, he hit 600 yards in that GPS, like nothing, and I thought, oh my <laughs> god, what did I... <laughs> And this was a washout because of poor range. Yeah, yeah. It was really was just that he was sick, you know. Yep. Um, so that dog was absolutely phenomenal. And he never screwed up on a bird. I mean, he stuck a bird, he was a statue. I could pick him up by the tail and move him around and he'd land like a statue and just a great dog, but not comfortable to hunt behind because of his range. So I went from a GSP and I hunted them both together a lot, a GSP that was closer range and, and not as um, staunch, I'll say, or steady for sure. And then a pointer that was like the picture of everything that a pointer should be. And yet when I'm hunting in public ground, he's pointing birds in front of other parties and it was not comfortable. So I, I often made the comment that if I could take the range and, and the, um, handleability of my GSP and the bird pointiness of my pointer and combine them together, it'd be the ideal dog. And so 
what I started looking for was actually another GSP. And like I said, I, I happened into meeting Keith and um, invited him out to South Dakota with, with my buddy. And we took nine dogs out there, did a prairie grouse run. And it, one of his little females <clears throat> was just a bird finding machine and like totally cooperative. And I, I told him right then, I'll take a pup out of her. So that's how I ended up with a Brock. Um, <clears throat> it's not that I really uh, pursued Brock's per se, but now that I have one, um, I love this dog like to death. And uh, I almost don't want the breed to get too popular because I don't <laughs> want it to be ruined, you know? Yep. Now, it, it, it's crazy how you have to kind of consider that it's just like you, you love them so much, but it can easily become an over, you know, one, one movie comes out with your breed and then yep. all of a sudden, all of a sudden you, you have a breed that gets washed out. Right. Right. And you know, it's kind of like, um, a lot of the smaller, uh, gene pools, <clears throat> you know, even Munsties were like this a few years back Yep. where if you had Munsties that were not being bred, um, for the hunting and, for all of that you could you could risk uh only only kind of increasing the you know the fun small dog loving little dog side of it and and uh there certainly is both like you know everybody says they're in the house most of the year but it's real easy to lose the hunting and so so that's a really big important thing for the for the brock community um and i'll say this there are short hairs there are vizlas there are pick your breed, uh, Munsties, um, with different temperaments and types in, in those bloodlines, you know, there's everywhere from short hairs that, that behave like my, uh, old pointer to ones that are just as cooperative as, is the, the Brock that I'm hunting over now. So, oh, oh for sure. I mean, it, the, the old saying always rings true and I say it all the time. And now I think, I think Grace and Guyer was the one that said it first on the podcast. There's as much differences within the breeds as there are amongst the breeds. And I think it's really important for people to remember that, you know, just because you have a short hair, you know, especially with the, with the lack of, uh, staying within breed standards, it's like you you have drastically different German short hairs, right? You know, there right. are other breeds that are a little more similar and closer together, depending on the clubs. But man, short hairs, it's like, you know, my short hair is thirty five to forty pounds throughout the year. And I know plenty of people whose short hairs are like eighty pounds plus. It's right. it, it's a very wide swing. And in in range and cooperation and you know, desire for water and and the off switch, is it an off switch or is it a standby switch? All of those things are, are, you know, at least partially or mostly genetic or, or, you know, epigenetic, how the, the puppy was raised and socialized and, and those things are all really important. So I guess, you know, I, I absolutely will always have a Brock. I'll probably always have one out of Ollie. He's, he's a 112 NA dog. He's got a Breeders Award litter out of him. I mean, he's just fantastic and I love him. And, and I'd say that's largely because of, of him. Um, I've seen, you know, great Brocks for sure. I've hunted over, I think 10 or 11, um, Brocks and I'm a big fan, but I would encourage people to think about, you know, like you were talking with Craig a while back. Um, that's looking as like a hundred episodes ago. <laughs> uh, like, um, uh, Craig Koshik is, uh, you know, kind of the, 
whatever the the librarian of of dog breeds or something hunting dog breeds maybe <laughs> the historian yeah the historian there you go and he had made a mention in in your podcast there that uh you know finding a breed or a dog that fits you is really what's going to be the best um for the dog and for you and i i kind of think back through my beagle and my short hair and my pointer and now ollie my brock and i realized that you know what i've kind of been doing is just trying to get a little bit closer to what I really wanted each time. And I think it's really important that the person works with a breeder and finds a breeder that hunts the way they hunt and that hunts, um, you know, maybe not necessarily in the same location. Location is less important than what they're wanting from their dog. Yeah. And, um, that That's just really important. I, I think going back and reading that episode is a, is a big deal yeah, or that, watching that episode or listening, I guess. So th yeah, that's episode 77 that started off the puppy series, which we have, uh, you know, a quick playlist on that on the website for everybody to check out if they, if they need to listen to it, because right behind him, you're, you're followed by the, uh, the Carters talking pretty much about the relationship and, you know, it, it's, it's very important, you know, I think we've said it a million times on the podcast, but those episodes really hit it home. And, and I've heard, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people saying that, that, that completely changed their outlook on the picking the right puppy and breed for themselves, but uh, kind of start them off on the right track. Right. So you got him, you, you have your Brock, what was different? Your training, you're used to the big running dogs, you know, what? It's, you found the breed for you, or at, at least at this point in time, you're hoping that you, you know, you got yeah. the breed. Uh, talk to us about what it was like adjusting to that. You know, we we know the reasons why, but what was it like adjusting to a completely different dog and uh, essentially kind of a different drive level or gas level? Well, it, it's that's a great question, and. Honestly, as I as I worked through Ollie as a puppy, I started realizing how much I did a disservice, in fact, to to my German short hair when I started, just because lack of knowledge and yeah. and you know I was training her on my own and um, you know trying to hold a driven dog back with one arm while you're trying to get a bird to release out of a <laughs> trap with the other and just the disasters that that is versus you know now I, I mean I've got the launchers I've got a little bit of property and I I got um, access to some pigeons right when he was a puppy through through my the breeder actually helped me out with some access to some pigeons and now i've got pigeons and so um that's been huge for me but also probably the biggest thing is reading the dog i'm, I'm way better at reading the dog now than i ever was before and that's probably because of just the experiences of training the other dogs and um the the, the reading of the dog is, to me, the most critical part. So, you know, like I said, I'm an engineer, so I overthink everything and yeah. I read everything. And I've got a bookshelf of bird dog stuff and I've got a DVD rack of bird training or dog training DVDs. And um, so I've done, you know, the Hickox, uh, the original Hickox method, the the clicker training stuff. I've been to a Hickox clinic. I, yeah. I've got the perfect start and finish. I've got the Huntsmith. I've got pretty much any trainer that you can think of. I even have that Walters book, although I don't, <laughs> don't rely on that. <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, one book that was really good for me was, you know, helping bird dogs train themselves. I think it's Joan Bailey. And, you know, I'm not saying anything in that particular book per se, but the, the mindset of the exposure and how do I get this dog to 
to build its little photo album of experiences in its head so that when it gets into that experience, it can say, oh, I've been here before. I know what to do. Um, and in, in my case, I, I was really lucky because the socialization of, of this particular puppy, and this is not breed specific, it's breeder specific. The socialization was so good and so strong. And this dog was just like a ravenous learner. He'd been around everywhere and brought to school for show and tell, whatever. So he was not scared of anything and, and he was a learner. So I just kept taking him um, absolutely everywhere. And then, and then learning off that and really being slow and careful on bird introduction, slow and careful. I did launcher introduction in the backyard, launching his toy. So the, the sound of a launcher out in pure full sight was something that he loved so that I was never going to scare him, you know, like do it completely away from birds. But see, and I like that because that that's a good example. And then going back to what you're talking about, Joan Bailey's book, uh, creating that photo album, you know, we, on the podcast, we've talked about it. We kind of refer to it as planting seeds, but I like the photo album expression too, because it, if you, if you do the small stuff with the intentions for the bigger goal and the end mission, it's going to make a lot more sense. And your, your right. example of slowly introducing them in, in, into the launchers in a non-pressured pressure, way or low-anxiety method, when you get out in the field and there's gunfire and birds and a lot of stimulus, the puppy's going to be able to adjust to that a lot quicker and just kind of a safety net, right? Right. You know, one of the things that, that I picked up from Hickox was, you know, like, don't ever say, well, I hope this goes well. Like, you need to plan <laughs> it out. And if that means you got to break it down into a thousand small steps and never have risk, then you do it a thousand yep. small steps. And and um, it's it's easy for me to, to say now, uh, I'm still doing most of this by myself. I do occasionally have some friends that we can train together. Um, and now there's kind of a few people in this area that, that we've been, uh, like training some of Ollie's pups together and stuff. And that works great. I'll, I'll just say that when I, when I started, I was looking for the magic system, the silver bullet, I was trying to look for the black and white answer. And, and what I've learned probably took three dogs to learn it, but, uh, is that that doesn't exist. And so I don't mean that any system is wrong. I mean that they're all a little different and it's really that trainer's mindset um with the dogs that they've trained and so they're trying to explain to you how to train kind of the generic average dog but what those trainers really have the the talent and the skill for is like three-fourths of their ability is their ability to read the dog and tweak their system a little bit you know they may still be running a wonder lead or they may still be using a play sport or they may still be using a woe post or, or whatever it that is but they're actually doing a little bit different with each dog. And yeah. so, so don't get stuck in believing that exactly the way the sentence is on the page or the, the video clip was on, on YouTube or, or whatever is the only way to do it. You have to start thinking, and this is me preaching to myself. You have to start thinking about why is your dog reacting the way they are and, and how do you need to tweak it? Um, to yeah. get what you're wanting so a hundred percent i mean i i agree a hundred percent on that and we've talked about it and and um it is it goes back to that to that saying you know consume everything eat everything chew up yeah. the meat spit out the bones right um it, it, it don't get stuck by taking just one source's 
methods. Don't feel like right. you said, you're looking for that golden bullet. The golden bullet does not exist. You know, right. I know as somebody's listening to this and like, nope, I have the golden bullet. No, you might have the golden bullet for your dog, your one dog, but you right. know, let me know when that's on the second or the third dog. And like you said, these trainers, they are where they are because they know what to tweak and adjust on the fly because they put the hands on the as that many dogs. They get that experience right. and it goes back to what you already said reading the dog you can pretty much do this episode without me i'm just kind of reiterating and regurgitating <laughs> exactly what you're saying so whatever no. <laughs> but but nick that's what's critical I, I mean that's why i i'm one of your patreon supporters i mean you're the only guy i support on patreon and it's because of this this is the part of the of the podcast that i find the most valuable and i've gone back and re-listened to things numerous times i certainly do not have this figured out i i can tell you that this past summer I was working on some stuff with Ollie and I re-listened to episodes 16 and 17. That tells you how Ooh. long I've been around. Um, <laughs> you went way back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was with Austin talking about, uh, what was it? Uh, scout with his porcupine. Quilt? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So, scout. Um, you know, I re-listened to those steadiness episodes uh, several times because I was working on something that I didn't know what to do. And, and, uh, to cut to the short of it, I ended up going to, um, perfection kennels to a clinic mm -hmm. uh, just because I want to get to be a better trainer and I and I wanted to to take Ollie through some things that I wasn't sure how to fix and so let's just um, make it simple let's say that you know there were times where he would take steps on a bird so he would be a staunch point and as I would come in he would do something that the that the French um, people oftentimes like and when you get to the dog in Europe a lot of times as you continue to take steps in towards the bird the dog's expected to kind of creep along the way. And I can totally understand why that would be valuable on a running bird, but he was doing it on training birds. So, so he was not um, holding the wall as much as I wanted. And I couldn't figure that out. Or I couldn't figure out what to do because he would woe perfectly uh, any other times, you know, I could, I had a good brake pedal on him. And, um, John Han, the trainer down there, puts a bird out. We take the dog out. We see him, and and he did take a step. And uh, then John asked me, so why did he do that? And I said, I just want him to stand steady until I flush. He's like, that's not what I asked you. Why did he do that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, geez, man, I've been doing this 25 years. I I, I don't know why he did that because I'm trying he, – he should know better. I told him, whoa. And – John's like, no, you're overthinking it. Just think he did that because it was fun. He he had fun <laughs> seeing that bird and, and he's got a lot of bird drive. So he had fun seeing that bird. Yep. And I was like hit between the eyes because I had always been thinking like this progression of yard work, obedience, generalize it. Then he's on woe. So he needs to woe. And that I somehow need to be able to get this whole sequence to where I shoot the bird and he gets retrieved for it to be fun for him. And he didn't care if he got a bird retrieved. He wanted to see a bird. That was enough fun for him. Yep. It goes it goes back to recognizing your dog's drive and not every dog is driven by the retrieve. They're not, they're not driven by the bird in the mouth. Like every, and there are some methods out there that talk about the reward is always the bird in the mouth. But to your point, there are dogs out there to where the chase is a much higher reward to them than the yep. bird in the mouth. The hunt on the next bird is a much bigger uh, drive than a bird in the mouth, 
right? Right. It's, My pointer was a good retriever, but a lot won't because they want to go find the next bird. Like there's a exactly. bird laying won't pick it up. So I just, after John was, you know, told me that I was like, well, yeah, I guess that's obvious. But I, I had seen this all summer working with things and I had not seen it. So, um, you know, again, just get yourself around other people to give you advice and people that are successful and know what they're doing and don't be afraid to go to clinics and trainers and, um, you know, it is gun dog it yourself. And, and that for sure, uh, is what I enjoy doing the training and the hunting, but, but I was at a spot where I was too, I don't know, emotionally attached to my dog and too attached to my thought of a system or process. And, I had this little logical flow in my head, but I needed to back up and just say, well, really, truly, why is, is the dog taking that step? Absolutely. He wants to see the bird. No, and that, that's paramount right there. I mean, there, there's really nothing else to add to that. I mean, it's, you just said, like, always stay thirsty for knowledge. Realize that you're never going to have it figured out because you're never going to be in touch with all the dogs in the world. Every dog is different, just like we're all different. And right. Like you said, there's some elements of truth. Dog training is dog training, and the principles don't change. But having that finesse to where you know how to tweak this or adjust that or what's driving the dog in this and why did it do that, that's what you're trying to figure out. Focus on exactly. the focus on the why and not the how. The how will come if you can read your dog and recognize that. And, you know, just stay thirsty. You should always be trying to listen to, you know, uh, another podcast, trying to watch more videos, trying to read more books, trying to talk to more trainers in person, pick their brain because you're never as an, as a DIY trainer ever going to be able to put your hands on as many dogs as pro trainers. Right. Right. Exactly. It's just crazy, but it sounds like you, you really jumped in with both feet and just immersed yourself into it to where you realize I have to start paying attention to what, my dog perceives as the reward as to what, as opposed to what I hope is the reward. Right. 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 And I, you know, that was a, a big aha moment for me. And, and, you know, the other thing too, is I'll, I'll say that, uh, it was intimidating to me at first trying to get into training and I ran some Navda stuff and I ran even a couple shoot to retrieve trials and things. And, and some of those were, were not the best fit for me. And, um, I absolutely support others. And I'll say, if you want to find people with good character that are willing to help, help you and help your dog reach its biggest, most fun life and its most potential, not just, not just behavioral potential, but it's fun potential. I mean, they're, they're built and bred for finding birds and, and hunting, um, get involved with some of these, these groups and find some people local. And, you know, if you attend a clinic, I, I gotta be honest with you, Nick, um, that, that clinic I went to this summer, I've got two really good friends out of that that live in like states away. And, um, you know, I was talking to two of them in the last two days and I was out in South Dakota, I think the same time as you hunting those monster flocks of chickens this year and really struggling with, uh, how to handle some cold rainy days when we're used to hot days and bird behavior. And we have these big flocks that are acting like, like winter flocks of adults and it's you know we're talking to biologists about all the chicks died in the 104 degree heat and and i see one of these guys i went to the clinic with post on facebook that he had just um shot his limit that morning over his his wire hair and so i called him and and uh you know we had a great chat while we're out on the prairie he was 50 miles west of me and he's like you know 
I'm thinking this and this and try that and this other thing. And the very next day that worked out and we've had just a great time with that. And we've talked a lot about training, a lot about hunting and you're going to find good friends. Um, if you're doing this right. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I agree, man. You know, what else, what else are we missing? You know, I feel like it, there's a, a story that we haven't heard yet. You know, you've already given us a couple good examples of just your learning curve, you know, and we've gotten good tips, but what I feel like there's another story that we're missing that you haven't told us. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you two great ones. Okay. So, you know, I told you my pointer was just this most beautiful bird dog and he, and he was, um, his dad's in the hall of fame uh down there at grand junction he i mean this dog had a serious pedigree and and man was he awesome he was a little ocd but he was just awesome but one year out south dakota we're hunting the grasslands we're hunting um the sharpies and chickens and i was gonna leave at noon that day i decided i would hunt with the guys that morning and i had to drive back in that case to illinois and about 30 minutes before I had to turn around and start heading back towards the truck, he slams this beautiful point on this rise. And I mean, he just looked freaking fantastic. And we walked in, three of us, and I walked past him. And no birds are getting up. No birds are getting up. And then the, the guy that was closest to him, I hear him yell, skunk. And uh, he turned around running. Yeah, my dog stood there staunch and steady, got sprayed <laughs> right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> you do this long enough you're you know most people have dealt with porcupines and uh skunks I, fortunately i haven't dealt with a porcupine too. yeah but skunk you do this long enough you're out there training if you're taking it serious you will have an experience with a skunk like it's yeah. just, eventually you will yeah he got uh, a ride back in the back of the truck my shorter got a ride in the front for the first time of her life and then uh um not the first time in her life first time in that truck and he got the old baking soda bath at the cabela's and mitchell <laughs> a few times and uh, on the way home and but yeah i mean the my biggest thing actually is i i was amazed to see with ollie that doing what i thought was finishing a dog making him steady to wing shot and fall but doing that away from the point here, I guess here's the biggest takeaway that's really made a huge shift for me this year. Um, when I realized that his, the chase of the bird and was more fun than a retrieve of a bird for him. And then I took basically back to yard training on woe, uh, basically woe to a bird in the air and then woe to a flushing bird. And we worked through all that and steadied him up. Then we put him back in the field his points were from further distance. His points were totally steady. Uh, birds got up. He didn't move. Birds were shot. He didn't move. And it was amazing how much that influenced even his pointing because he got the idea that, you know what, it's not necessarily going to be fun to go see that bird um, fly because now I've got a job to do. And then that transferred right out to the prairies. We were on vacation, ran him on some of those same covers. We found some chickens. He stood there steady and it was so much fun and i think he had more fun so um you can do it uh go back and listen to 16 and 17 those a lot of those <laughs> techniques are what's in there don't be afraid to get buddies together that have access to a lot of birds and and can help you out and, and you're going to end up with a, a better dog and some really good good friends to do stuff with man i i'm gonna have to go all the way back and listen to 16 and 17 because i i remember the episodes i remember that was 
man, that was with Austin, like you said. That was a while back. I'm kind of scared to go back that far and listen to some, <laughs> to some of those older episodes. Nobody knew what a snack tote was back then. <laughs> yeah, you, you're Harold's uh, biggest snack tote fan for sure. You, <laughs> you, you've definitely won the uh, the challenge that I threw out a few weeks ago about you know the best snack tote story or or what what best guess of what goes into it. Uh, I, I'll have to link you up to with Harold and that y'all can discuss what the what the magical formula is for that. <laughs> Absolutely, but Absolutely. well, Eric, I appreciate you coming on, and I mean, literally, it's just you you kind of hit the nail on so many heads, and I don't really have anything else to add on that. So I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll definitely talk soon. Sounds good, Nick. Appreciate it, and keep doing what you're doing on the podcast. I, I love like just the normal people figuring out normal problems and, and helping each other learn that's that's what's awesome about it 100 percent. that's what why we do it and we i definitely appreciate that feedback and uh yeah we'll, we'll definitely talk again soon all right sounds good nick thanks 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 for listening to gdiy if you enjoyed this podcast please remember to take a moment to subscribe rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram at gundog it yourself if you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content please check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself thanks again and happy hunting Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.